church. My name is Bo, and the pastor's here. Uh, today is the Sunday within the church calendar, since the week before Easter, that's called Palm Sunday. And so when you, when you saw people um, waving shrubberies and stuff around, we don't do that every week. So if you're like, huh, it's interesting, they love grass. But it just marks a moment in the story of Jesus' life where he, he was entering Jerusalem um, with his face towards with, uh, realizing what was coming before him, which was his crucifixion. And as he entered into this historic and, and very unique city, he, he enters into it and the people grabbed palms and were waving them um, like they were welcoming a king. They didn't know that this one whom they thought might be king or messiah or deliverer was actually headed towards his death, Uh, but they grabbed palms and they celebrated him. So we we grab palms and we celebrate that Sunday. So that's what these palms are for. We've been in a series called uh, Relent, and it's about just sort of remembering this season of of Lent. We looked at the temptations of Jesus, and we kind of say, how do we cease resistance to God? And so today we want to look at another story in Jesus's life. I would assume it's a very key temptation of his as well, and about how he ceased resisting to God's will. Um, In the stories that we've been looking at, we looked at the temptation of Jesus, and he did 40 days of fasting, and it said that the devil tried to tempt him and failed as Jesus completely surrendered to his father's will, and it said the devil left him to return at an opportune time. And so you kind of wonder, when was this opportune time that the devil was going to come that we could learn something about? Uh, I assume it could be in this moment. This is in the last moments of Jesus' life before he is betrayed. He had celebrated Passover, which is a historic Jewish festival that will be on this coming Saturday night. That, that is fat Passover uh, for those who participate in, in that tradition. He, did, he had done that with his disciples, and then he went to this garden, an olive garden called Gethsemane, and he prayed. And this is found in Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. And this is a beautiful text. And so let, let me pray, and then let me read this. So, Father... Would you open us to the story of Jesus? Open us to the life-giving words of Jesus. Open us to you. That we can encounter and engage you. That our minds and our intellects and our imaginations and our memories could be used to be shaped by you, influenced by you, healed by you, and helped by you. So God, may we know that we are present with you and that you are near. So that uh, open our eyes to the wonderful truths of your word. Amen. This is in Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, 
he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus in this moment is heading off knowing exactly what is to take place in his life. He knows the temptation and that is before him. He, he knows all that is going on here. Now in the writers of the scriptures, it said that Jesus um, stepped into our humanity fully. That's what this idea of the incarnation is. And so we hold this truth with this one hand. God was, Jesus was fully man. Fully human, experiencing all the things that we experience. So much so that the writers in Hebrews said that he himself suffered like we did. He himself suffered when he was tempted like we are. So that he's able to help those being tempted. That his being tempted, fully like we are, and suffering through it helps us. In our temptations. It helps us to cease resistance to God. Now, when we think about temptation, I think sometimes we think temptation is purely this idea of doing bad things, you know, right? Uh, drinking too much or, or you know, something that would be harmful for us. But the temp- so, so much of us, temptation is to despair. The temptation is to um, stop going down the road that we're invited to because of the, the pain of it, right? To, to take a, a detour in life. To step off the the track in this way that it's going to take control of our lives for ourselves. To do something different in order to solve a problem. It's It's the temptation maybe solve things that God isn't inviting us to do. And so he said Jesus was tempted in every way so that we too could be encouraged and helped by him. By him being tempted. And in this beautiful text we have this um. This mirror for us in our humanity as we are tempted to be able to model this same thing in the pain of Jesus. He is already, he's already testified. He knows, I, I don't know fully what he knows, right? Like, but he knows that all of his disciples are going to betray him. He's already told them that. They're going to forsake him. He's going to be grabbed and he's going to be killed. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be ridiculed. He knows this is coming. And yet he is willing to step, and as he's stepping into this, he prays this prayer. He goes into a garden to be alone, and he invites his disciples to come with him. Right? He says, come with me and pray. Come be with me. He, he, he's alone, but he doesn't want to be alone, right? You ever been in those moments where you're like, you're hurting, and you're longing to be with God. You know you're in need, and you kind of want to be alone, but you don't want to be alone, so come be with me but I don't really want you to talk to me, right? But be with me, sit with me, keep watch with me. I mean, that, that, that just happened as I told you a few weeks ago about Carmel being in the hospital, right? And, and there was that really tragic moment where all of a sudden she stopped breathing and she's put on a, a ventilator, right? And, and I am wrecked. I'm, I'm wrecked. And all of a sudden, you know, Nate shows up and Tina and, and Ben and Hannah, they, they show up and um, I didn't want them to talk to me. Right? I had nothing to say, but I loved that they were with me. Right? I, want, I didn't want to be alone, but, and I didn't want to chit-chat. 
And Jesus, in his full humanity, invites his disciples to come to him, and he prays this beautiful, he prays this prayer, and he goes off, and he cries out to the Father, and he asks him, stay with me, keep watch with me. Uh, there's a man by the name of Ed Dobson, and he had ALS, and, and he wrote a book called um, Living a Year Like Jesus. And he talked about being able to em- embrace this reality of what was before him, and about praying this same prayer that Jesus prayed within those hard moments. When Jesus stepped into this garden, knowing what's coming for him, here's what he prayed. Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Let this cup, let this cup before me pass. But not as I will, but you will. That was his prayer, really simply. And he said he went off and prayed that prayer. And then he went back to his disciples. So it was long enough for them to fall asleep. So I don't know how long, right? Because it was more than just that prayer, but he was praying that prayer. And then his disciples were asleep. They just celebrated Passover, and they probably drank a lot of wine, right? There's a lot of cups of wine in the Passover service, so they had drank wine. It was late, and it was in a garden. They're sleepy. They fell asleep. And Jesus goes back, and he says, he prayed the same prayer again and comes back and finds them asleep. And he goes off a third time, prays the same thing again. And then come his betrayers. This is a beautiful prayer. I think it's something that we can learn within our own temptation, with our own temptations to despair, with our own temptations to give up, with our own temptations to say, I I don't know what to do. This beautiful prayer that starts with Abba Father. Father, we have a Father we have a God who is our Father, and, and for so many of us, I mean, right, we're, we, we've, for many of us, we are part of a generation who didn't have fathers, right? Or if you did have a father, they were kind of absent, and if you were of a family who actually had a father that was present, it just seems like you're the rare one, right? You seem that you're the one that, that was sort of lucky, because most of us, when we hear that God is our Father, we, don't, we didn't have a great representation. No father is perfect, but many of us had absent ones. So when it says God's a father, it wasn't a, an, an incredibly positive thing. So we had to struggle to continue to remember. Well, what was this like? For those of you who had, a, had an example, a living example of God the Father and your father, that, that is good because you realize what that is. And so the scriptures continue to teach us about God the Father. And Jesus told stories about God the Father. But the Father who ran after a wayward son. But the God who forgave him and welcomed him. This is a list of a story within the prodigal son to show us what kind of father God is. He's the one who sees us when we're far off and broken. He's the one who's filled with compassion for us. He runs to us when we've only just turned a little bit towards him. He is ready to grab a hold of us. He throws his arms around us and he clothes us with honor and dignity even though we might have been living in shame and regret and foolishness. He puts a ring upon our finger, marking us as his. He puts sandals on our feet, which which were covered in mud and dirt. And then he celebrates with us in our return. That's what it is when we have a father. That's the kind of love of a father. So when we pray, and we're in these moments, in this prayer that Jesus has taught his disciples to pray by modeling it for us, it's the one we say, oh, father, we are reminded of his great love. Father, you love us. The next line of it says, is just praise to God. Everything is possible for you. 
right? We, uh, if you, it, at Genesis this year, we've had a commitment to praying impossible prayers. We had people list, what's your impossible prayer? And pray it. Pray it weekly, every Monday. Pray your impossible prayer because God, nothing is impossible for him. Everything is possible. And so we're in this, it's not so much that we're reminding God of who he is. Oh God, um, everything's possible for you. I need to remind you that nothing is too hard. No, we're reminding ourselves everything is possible. Everything is possible. In Luke 18, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in this pattern. He said, pray with persistence. Continue to come day and night. And God will move. He will move for your cries, right? So he says, day and night, cry out to God with perseverance, with persistence. Everything is possible. I can remember learning this within my my marriage with Carmel and I. I can remember the episodes of chronic back pain that you experienced for years, right? And, and praying for, God, everything's possible for you. Remove this cup from her. And with it, after four years of chronic back pain, boom, it went away. Right? We had those moments that was like, I don't know why. I don't, right? It just happened. Everything is possible with God. Amen. And this prayer is to help us on the temptation To despair, the temptation to stop relying, to stop trusting in God. And so in our journey right now, right? My wife's been having breathing trouble and can't breathe without oxygen right now. She's 37 years old, right? And on oxygen. We went to the doctor and they don't kind of really know. And but So this could go away. But one of the diagnoses is that with bad asthma, your lungs can be reshaped in it. It's sort of like COPD. And when your lungs are reshaped, they can, they can restrict and then no longer go back to their original shape. And that's one of the prognoses. It's sort of like, hey, your lungs, because of the mismanagement of the asthma, could be like this for the rest of your life. Right? That's, that's one of the prognoses. I don't like that prognosis, right? So I accept it, I hear it, but yet I remember that everything is possible for God. Everything is possible for God. I don't like that prognosis. Could that be the reality? Maybe. But everything is possible for God. And so we hold on to that so we won't fall into despair and continue to trust God regardless of our diagnoses. Here's the third third little phrase that Jesus prays. Take this cup from me. How interesting, right? Jesus knows that he's coming to take away the sins of the world. But yet, he asks his father who loves him, take this cup away. Have you ever had a hard time praying for yourself? I know a lot of people who can pray for others and, right, they'll, whatever it is that somebody hurt their finger, they'll pray for them and care, but something happens to you. Do you have the hardest time asking God to come and take away whatever that is, right? That, as Hannah was talking about, that, that cup, right? That suffering, that reality that's facing you, the brokenness of a situation, the brokenness of a relationship, the, um, the pain, the rejection, the fear, right? The, the, the cancer, that, the, um, the anxiety, the depression, the mental illness, 
um, the addiction, the, right? Goodness, we could, we could all write what that could be. Here is Jesus and his humanity asking the Father, take this cup away. It, it would be odd for him to want it, right? For the joy set before him, he does it, he knows, but it's awful. And so he prays for himself, take this cup. It's a pattern for us in our humanity if you struggle with being able to pray for yourself to ask God to take away the things, right? Here's Jesus asking the Father, take this cup. Ah, he relates with the things that are tempting us to encourage us. We can pray the same thing, take this, God. But here's the final line, right? Yet, not as I will, but what you will. What you will, God. Not fully what I will. It's, this, is a, this is a line of surrender. Saying, God, I, I surrendered you. I, I trust you. Whatever you think is best, do it. What a beautiful prayer that each line that we could pray. Ed Dobson in his AOS prayed this prayer. Because he was trying to figure out how to pray. He used, I was telling you about this a few weeks ago. He used orthodox prayer beads to, to, to use it as a prayer pattern for him because he knew he was struggling to pray for himself. And so he would pray this with intentionality, with focus, and he would pray that prayer. Father, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Not as I will, but as you will. And he would pray that on these beads as this prayer of submission, right? As a prayer of petition for himself. He would take that same prayer for, for others and he'd use this as a prayer of um, intercession, right? Praying for others and he would say, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Remove this cup from, and then he, would, he was praying for his, his daughter and son-in-law who, um, like John and Kelly, could, had a long run with not being able to have kids, right? They had a ton of miscarriages and they were suffering. And so he was praying for them, right? And so he would use that as an intercession tool for them. A beautiful prayer where Jesus says, hey, he has entered into all the temptation despair, but yet in his moments of weakness, in his moments of vulnerability and of fear and of pain, he falls upon his face before the Father and prays this. We too can follow his pattern and do so. And the Father is near to us. There was a saint called Saint Beneventure. Y'all know him? I don't either. <laughs> Saint Beneventure. And, but he had this beautiful quote that has grabbed me, and it says this, Christ is the one whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Sorry for the math analogy for those of you who um, <laughs> don't like those, but the, the way that I sort of Interpret that in mind. Christ is the one whose center is everywhere, so it's, it's with all of us, right? He's present. The center of it, right there with us. The circumference is the outside, right? The outside edge of the circle, right, math teachers? Right? Outside edge. And it says that outside edge is nowhere. And so the reality of our temptation to know that Christ is in this way, that we can be enveloped in his love, Knowing that he is with us, that we are at the center, there's this wholeness with Jesus, and that whatever this cup that we are facing is, 
It is not too much. And we are not too far outside that we can be enclosed and enveloped in his love. How beautiful. That's the first encouragement. And then so the second encouragement of this teaching that I want to step into is the one that we cannot relate to. It's, it's the reality when Jesus is in there and he tells the Father, remove this cup of suffering. For me just to say, this is the hardships of life, would, um, would minimize the, the craziest re- one of the craziest realities that, that I'm aware of. This cup. What was the cup that Jesus was going to drink? When he says, remove this cup from me, what was he saying? Was he just saying, oh, I, I don't want to die this horrible death, and I don't, I don't want to be ridiculed and mocked and broken and naked? I mean, I'm sure there was a part of that, right? To be crucified, that's awful. But there's more. Because many people who have, have been martyred, have been tortured, have been ridiculed, have, have drank that cup with um, boldness, without fear. And so when Jesus is saying, remove this cup, he's saying something infinitely greater. And so let let me just share what that is. And so we have to look back into the Bible to understand what Jesus' words mean. We've got to turn back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the cup was used to symbolize God's judgment towards sin. God's wrath towards the injustices in the world. It's this cup of God's wrath that's being poured out, right? It, this key passage, Jeremiah 25, 15 says, this is, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. The nations who have continued to offer up their children and pay and sacrifice and abuse this world and abuse others and enslave people, right? The, all the injustice and let them drink this cup. Tell them this cup is coming for them to drink. And Isaiah 51 17 says this, awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet which makes people stagger. So not only the nations and that, here's, here's all these people, the Jewish people said, hey, you, you have also done it because you have forsaken God. Turned from him, worshipped other gods. Lost your trust in him, abused your own people. And in Revelation 14, 9 and 10, it says, that if anyone worships the beast, this is this crazy apocalyptic picture of the future and stuff, but it's one that references this cup again. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. So what's the cup that Jesus is drinking? It's a guy named John Stillman. He writes about it. He calls it um. God's liquid wrath. It flows out of God's love for the victims of injustice. It is fueled not by simplistic destructive retribution, but redemptive restoration. The Christian God is always loving and is only wrathful at the abuse of his creation. And so when we think about the abuse of his creation... How much of that has there been? My word. Now, when I say the abuse of his creation, um, I, 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 do, I do include in that the abuse that has been done to our world, right? The created world, to our air quality, 
Do you know that most impoverished nations, when they talk about air quality and stuff, and those who are suffering from uh, harmful things with breathing and stuff, are usually the impoverished areas and the poor people for what we do to the air quality of people, for what we've done to water sources that have been polluted and, and done so for the sake of money or progress, for what people have done to animals and things like that and the unsustainable things that are happening in our world, right? That's an injustice of creation. And humanity and humans are included in that as well. For the enslavements of people and the, the I mean, the, it goes on. Every generation continues to see these injustices, this abuse towards people. To where this cup of, of injustice and of pain and of, and of awfulness continues to fill up. What we call sin. Included in this is every hurt, every wound, every offense, every ache, every wrong, every injustice, every crime, every murder, every lie, every rape. Everything. From, the, from all of humanity. And from the opening pages of Scripture in Genesis, this amazing story, we have the first man and woman born into the picture, and they give birth to the first son, who in himself becomes the first murderer. <laughs> right? Every generation bearing the weight of our offenses. So what is the cup that Jesus is drinking? The cup of abuse and injustice and sin of all the world. Can you fathom? You cannot relate to that. You might be able to grasp the concept of drinking the cup of your own offenses, of all the wrongs that you have done to pay the price of all the wages of your own sins and falling shorts. You might be able to fathom that, the reality of that weight. But can you imagine the magnitude for all of humanity? That's the cup that Jesus is going to drink. And for that, we cannot relate. It's so interesting that this idea of God's wrath being poured out. Because in this, in God, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are working to rid the human race of the scourge of sin. From the weight of it, the debt of it, the pain of it the death of it. In 2 Corinthians, it says this crazy thing about Jesus, and it says this, it says that God made him who had no sin, this is Jesus, it made him who had no sin become sin for us. He becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So let me read this list again about Jesus being made sin. We might, could we imagine this moment Jesus drawing the disease of sin out of the human race into himself. That's what he's doing. He's drawing. He's drawing it all, the disease of sin, out of the human race into himself. Here's that list again. Every hurt, every wound, every offense, every ache, every wrong, every injustice, every crime, every murder, every lie, every rape. Jesus somehow 
bears it all. To this we cannot relate. And as he does this, the scripture says that this sin was being condemned in Jesus. That's just what's happening. That's what, as this is poured out upon him, it's going to be condemned in him. That's what Romans 8, 3 says. It says, for what um, us following the law, God's um, oral revelation, God's revelations to us, right? What it could not do, because it couldn't keep us, um, make us right with God, it was weak, um, as it was through the flesh. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He was condemning it. God was working to condemn it. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them because those were poured upon Jesus, bearing them all. I cannot grasp this reality but yet, this is the time that we do when we think about ceasing resistance. Here was Jesus not resisting to bear this cup of all the sin of the world, yours, mine, the full magnitude of it. Here's what John Tillman says, says the forgiveness of our sins is accomplished by the sacrifice of Christ's blood. So this liquid wrath in this cup was drank by Jesus and liquid forgiveness was poured out of him in his blood. A liquid sacrifice flowing from love. God was reconciling the world through Christ. The love of God, love trampling over evil. This is what was happening. The cup of God's wrath is taken for us by Christ. He begs not to drink it, yet he does, leaving us not a drop to taste after him. And so in Revelation verse 21, here's what it says in verse 6. At the end of this story, it says, we exchanged the cup or a he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And so here's the great exchange of this text. We exchange the cup of God's wrath that we deserve for the cup of living water that Christ freely offers to us. That is liquid wrath and liquid forgiveness. That is heaven and two cups. That is the gospel. Drink up. So this week, on Friday, we have the opportunity to remember this full reality of all of our sins being placed on Jesus on Good Friday when we recognize the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to be um, remembering that on Friday at 6.30. And we invite you to come and, and, and join us. That cup that he was willing to take for every sin of the world. But this week, we've been talking about disciplines that we could do, right? And, and I think that in your suffering and that, if you use this prayer of Jesus in your personal life as we go through life and, and hard obstacles, or if you know of others that are suffering, pray this prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane for them. 
Pray for yourself, pray for others. Use it as a reflective tool to remember the way that Jesus prayed. But here's the other discipline that I want you to do this week when you drink. So what an awesome thing. We drink quite often, don't we? A glass of water, a cup of coffee. Maybe you drink poison like soda. <laughs> I do. All right, whatever you're drinking, beer, wine, cocktails, whatever it is, this week, could you remember the cup differently? Could you look at the cup every time you drink this week from your water or your coffee? And even a moment in our eating and our drinking to the glory of God, what would it be like to take our cup and to remember again, yet as we sip so easily, Jesus' willingness to drink fully from the cup of all of the sin of the world to the bottom of it. Wow, could we do so? Could we, could we drink remembering him and his willingness to drink to the bottom of the cup of sin? But here's the other one. And could you remember this cup of life that is offered to you? This cup of living water that is offered to you right now, that you did not earn, that you didn't deserve, based upon the love of Jesus that just says, here's my cup of the water of life. I give it to you by my love for you. And could you drink it? Remember Jesus in your drinking. Remember him in your drinking and praise him in your drinking. That is, that is my hope this week. As we engage in this week, as we participate in just normal life and everyday things, and those who you're with, you can even weird them out when you're with them saying, I'm remembering the sin of the world that Jesus stroke, drank up. And I'm remembering this free gift of life for me. Thank you, God. I'm going to drink right now, friends. I'm thirsty. If you got a drink, hold it high. Right? And if it's even the bottom, that nasty bit of coffee, <laughs> hold it high. Jesus drank every drop. Thank you, Jesus. Every drop of all the despair and disgustingness of humanity and mine, he drank every drop. Thank you, Jesus. Remember him in your drinking. Yeah. And he offers you the water of life. This is his gift to you. Can you receive it? Absolutely. How easy is it to receive? As easy as drinking. I say yes to the water of life, to the drink of life that is Jesus. Drink up. They can be the same. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your goodness. We pa I, I pause, Lord, and just the weight of this. The, um, it's so immense, your love. Can we do, Lord, we just want to pause and just be silent for what you have done. May our silence be worshiped to you, all to you.
And so, too, if today you come in and you've been struggling to receive the trust, of, to receive this gift of Jesus, right? You've forgotten about it. You've forsaken it. You've turned from it. You're not drinking from that cup, right, of Jesus' life that says, I am for you. I love you. I will cover you. May you drink of it today. No, that's a metaphor, right? That just means believe, receiving, trusting Jesus. He's got us. He's got our back. There is no circumference of his love. We were going to be enveloped in him. He's got us. He's got our past sins, and he got, he's got our today, and he's got our tomorrow. So we can trust him. So we can say yes to that here. So let's do that. We say yes, God, to your love. We say yes to your forgiveness. We say thank you for taking our sin. We cannot fathom it. But we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we say yes. May our trust grow in you. That we can continue to say, oh, not our will but yours. And maybe know what it is to, for you to take a hold of our hand. And to surround us. And to walk with us. And for us to walk with you. Pull us into your love, God. May all of us know that we are surrounded in it as we say yes. As you grab a hold of us and forgive us and renew us. Yes, Jesus, we say. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.